Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, hey, good morning, Crosspoint. And uh, for those of you just joining us, welcome. My name's Rob, lead pastor here at Crosspoint, and so glad that uh, you're uh, joining with us in worship this morning. Hey, we're in a teaching series uh, called The Songs of Summer, and uh, throughout this summer, we're going through the Book of Psalms. We're going to have a variety of different speakers, and uh, this morning, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 46, and that's where we're going to be spending some time this morning, and uh, I hope that you'll track along with me today as we walk through that psalm. But let me just begin with a question this morning. I don't know about you, but has, has anybody had this sense that the world we're living in today is in trouble? I mean, we are only halfway through 2020, but this has been one of the craziest years yet at least in my life, as I can remember it. I mean, this has been a year of real trouble. Let, let me just highlight some of the things that have been happening, just in case you forget. Uh, first of all, you remember the wildfires that happened in Australia, southern Australia in particular. These started in the summer of 2019. They found their peak in January 2020. Uh, there were earthquakes in Turkey and the Caribbean, devastating floods in Indonesia and northern Alberta. Uh, a volcano erupted in the Philippines. The United States nearly went to war with Iran uh, because of a drone strike assassination, which was followed by a kind of retaliatory uh, ballistic missile attack. And then there was the alleged unintentional destruction of a Ukrainian airliner. So crazy times there. Uh, Donald Trump, the most powerful leader in the free world, was impeached and then acquitted this year. Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna died in a helicopter crash along with seven others. It's very tragic. Um, Brexit finally happened. And the United Kingdom withdrew from the European Union. Uh, then there was this little bug called the coronavirus, right? Which eventually just shut down the entire world and to date has killed over 500,000 people across the planet that we know for sure. And speaking of bugs, we discovered here in Canada and in the United States that murder hornets have landed on the West Coast in both the USA and Canada. These things that kind of kill beehives and and multiple bites could actually kill a human being. Crazy. Uh, and now, of course, there are swarms of hundreds of billions of locusts sweeping across North Africa, into the Middle East, and they're also in Argentina and in Brazil. The inf infestation is so large that it has been categorized as a plague. It actually has a name. It's called Swarmageddon. Okay? Uh, so we've got bugs in Canada, we've got bugs in North Africa, and we've got bugs on doorknobs all across the world. Then, of course, because of coronavirus, coronavirus fears, the Dow hit its all-time low since 1987, its greatest drop, and now we are waist-deep into a recession. Also, Disney, Disney released yet another version of The Lion King. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. That was Netflix, and it was called The Tiger King. But, but, millions of people around the world were shocked to discover how many crazy people in the United States actually own tigers. Then, of course, there was the uh, horrific killing of George Floyd, which sparked Black Lives Matter protests across the globe, and sometimes these included violent clashes between the police and rioters. And I don't know if you know this, I just discovered this, but on June 20th, the Arctic Circle recorded its highest ever temperature, 
38 degrees Celsius recorded in Siberia. As well, China has passed new legislation, um, uh, gave it greater controls over Hong Kong, and this, of course, led to different kinds of protests. And this week, I'm not sure if you know this as well, but a massive Sahara dust cloud, the largest ever captured on satellite, so since 1979, the largest ever captured dust cloud is moving all the way up the United States and may, in fact, touch Canada. So this, this dust cloud will darken the sky and it will cause respiratory problems for many people. And meanwhile, in all of this, last night, Kanye West announced his run for the presidency of the United States of America. Wow, okay. And COVID-19, <coughs> of course, continues to rage throughout the world with over 11 million people infected as scientists continue to seek to find a vaccine, a cure for this COVID-19. All right, and so it's only July 5th. And I don't know, is this just the news? Is it just social media? Is it just me? Or there's, there just seem to be more and more trouble happening in our world every single day. But of course, we're only, you know, we're, we're only talking about the trouble that's out there, right? I mean, you might be experiencing your own kind of trouble. Trouble at home, trouble at work, trouble in relationships, trouble with your car, trouble with your computer, I don't know. The reality is nobody likes trouble, nobody wants trouble. Um, there's an old song uh, from Dave Matthews that's called, well, Trouble. And it was ringing in my head yesterday as I was reflecting on today's message. And here's what he says. He says, trouble, don't you see? That in your bed I find no sleep. I confess you came because of me. Trouble, get behind me now. Trouble, let me be. So, so where do we turn when there's trouble all around? Well, this is what Psalm 46 is actually all about. And I'd like us to walk through it together. But before we walk through this psalm together, I just want to point out a couple of features uh, that are unique in this psalm. First of all, the key feature of Psalm 46 is its movement, okay? There, there are actually three stanzas in the psalms, okay? And each one of these stanzas build on top of each other, but they build in the opposite direction. As a matter of fact, it's more like a decrescendo rather than a crescendo. So it moves from loud crashes to quiet calm, from chaos to order. And then from fear uh, to trust. So there's this movement that takes place throughout the psalm as we go through it. But another feature is that you'll notice in this psalm is, is the appearance of this word that is selah, which appears after each one of the stanzas in the psalm. Now, it's important to note that, that selah isn't actually part of the text of the psalm. It's more like a sidebar or, or an addition to the psalm itself. And there are a number of psalms that have this feature. Uh, Habakkuk also has this feature in it. So the Hebrew word selah basically means to pause or to reflect or maybe even to bow. And most scholars think that uh, Selah was added afterwards kind of as a musical signature for the choirs or for the readers uh, of this psalm. So when Selah appears in the text, it's appropriate to just stop and pause and reflect on what's just been said or read. So we're going to be doing that as we walk through the text this morning. So let's get, it, let's get right into it. Let's get into it. I hope you have your Bibles ready. Psalm 46, and we're going to start right at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. 
So the psalm, it, it begins boldly and brashly. I mean, notice the imagery it uses. I mean, there's earthquakes and there's landslides. There's mountains being swallowed by the sea. And, and of course, mountains would have represented permanent strength and, and, and security. They're unmovable. That's the thing about mountains. They're unshakable. But these mountains are trembling and they're collapsing. And meanwhile, at the same time, the sea roars and it foams. Now, in the ancient Middle East, uh, the sea was a place of chaos. Ancient mariners, those guys on boats, they feared the sea because of this chaos. They, they feared its dark and its bottomless deep. And you find this throughout uh, ancient uh, Middle Eastern literature, not just in the Bible, but in other literature as well. Uh, you know, I, I can remember uh, the first time that I swam in the ocean. I, I was on a mission trip to Taiwan, and this was like... 20 years ago. I was like in my early 20s. Uh, and a missionary took us to the beach. And, and it wasn't a very great beach. And as a matter of fact, it was more pebbles than sand. And the waters there were troubled. In fact, there were few people out in the water. Most of the people were on the shore. And uh, the missionary actually advised that we shouldn't actually swim in the, the water, right? He said, because it's, it's a little bit troublesome and you might get yourself hurt. But of course, I was in my early 20s, right? I didn't listen to older people's advice. I mean, I'd swam in lakes before in Saskatchewan, right? Were they not similar? And I was big and I was strong. How could I possibly find myself getting into trouble? So I waded out into the water up to my waist and I just waited for the waves to come and to meet me. And meet me they did. They came in smashing and crashing, roaring and foaming. I, I, I think I, I, they picked me up off my feet. I felt like I was, I was like a heavy load of laundry being, uh, being churned about. I think my face hit the ground like two times and it was scraped before the spin cycle finally ended. And so at the end of it, I, I kind of got washed up onto the shore and I found myself crawling out, coughing and sputtering, completely humbled by the uncontrollable power of the ocean. And what I learned on that day is that the sea, the ocean, it is an unstoppable force, chaotic and commanding. So what does it mean to, to have the mountains shaken and swallowed by the sea? Well, when security falls into chaos, it points to the ultimate nightmare, the world falling apart and dismantling our lives unraveling. Basically, all hell is breaking loose. Trouble. So what do we do? I mean, what do we do when the mountains are crumbling and, and when the seas are raging? Who can we turn to when there is trouble? Well, the psalmist tells us, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, the Bible teaches that, that God is actually present everywhere. Okay, He's, theologians have a word to describe this attribute of God. They call it omnipresence. Okay, so wherever you go in the world, wherever you go in the universe, there God is. He's inescapable. But, but this text tells us that when it comes to our troubles, God is not just present, God is very present. The Hebrew word there actually, it actually means found greatly. So it's saying that God is very present in our trouble. So when trouble's all around, God's not sitting back in his recliner. He ain't off somewhere leaning against the wall. He's standing on the balls of his toes, ready to jump in and to help us. This is who God is. Now, I saw a video the other day on YouTube that I thought just captures this, this very presence of God, and I thought I, we would watch it together. I pulled it off of YouTube, and uh, let's look at this dad do this great rescue. Let's watch this together.
All right. Now, nice catch. That was an awesome catch. And there you got a dad. He is on point. He is ready. He's on the balls of his toes, ready to jump in. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Selah. Let's keep reading. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So, so in the previous stanza, the waters raged and they roared, but now they've become a peaceful river. So this river, it brings joy and delight to the city of God. And the city of God, of course, is, is Jerusalem, which was, which was located on Mount Zion. So when King David established this as the capital over Israel, it was often called the city of David. But the hearers of the psalm, they would have picked up on something strange when they heard this psalm. See, the thing, the reality is, is there is no stream in Jerusalem. There never has been a stream in Jerusalem. In fact, this was one of the weaknesses of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, because if you don't have water, it's very difficult for a city to survive a siege. Uh, so when other armies surround it and the city gets closed off, if you don't have water, the people inside the city will eventually die. This is why later on, King Hezekiah would eventually dig a tunnel out of Jerusalem so that he could bring water into the city during the time of the siege of the Assyrians. So a river running through the city would have been like life for the community and security as well. So it's saying that there is a river that makes, whose streams make glad the city of God. Well, what is this river that he's talking about? Well, keep in mind that Jerusalem wasn't just any city. It was called the city of God because that's where the temple of the Lord was. So the living God had decided to make Jerusalem his special home, to live at a singular geographical point on the earth. So the river is in fact God's very own presence. And the psalmist is saying that God's presence will sustain Jerusalem. He will protect her. He will secure her. And of course, the chaos that was described previously, now it begins to take shape in this, in this stanza, in the form of political and military power. So it says, nations rage and foam like the waters of the sea, and kingdoms, once secure as the mountains, are falling and toppling over one by one. But those who are in the city, where God is, they're secure. Because of God, if God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. Well, how will he do this? How does God do this? Well, you notice what it says in the text. It says that he utters his voice and the earth melts. He simply has to speak. I mean, this is the God of creation. This is the God who, with a word of his mouth, spoke creation into being. This is the God, with a breath of his mouth, gave life to all of humanity. So nothing can, uh, can withstand the force of his voice. He can command the chaos and the chaos will melt, will disappear. Selah. Let's keep reading. Come, come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations to the earth. I mean, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters his spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be established among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So the final stanza begins with one word. Come. It's, it's essentially, it's an invitation to trust in God. See, God's strength and his protection, they, they weren't automatic. Right? The temple wasn't like a magic talisman that they could kind of put up to ward off evil. The city didn't have some sort of special force field surrounding it. It was God himself in the midst of the city who was their fortress. I mean, you probably noticed the same refrain in verse 7 and in verse 11. Both stanzas end the same way because this is the key uh, uh, thesis of this entire psalm. Here's what it says. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, the thing about God's presence and God's help is it must be received in faith. That's the thing about a fortress. A fortress is something you have to run into. I mean, you, you don't stand around outside picking your nose while people are chucking spears at you. You have to run into the fortress to receive the security and the protection of the fortress. So that's why there's this invitation to come, to come, to wade into this river, to come, to hide inside of this fortress. So when trouble surrounds us, how do you run to God? Well, there essentially are two parts to this invitation. First, it's behold, and second, it's be still. And I want to walk through each of those together this morning. First of all, he says, behold. Let's talk about that first part. To behold means to consider, to reflect, to gaze upon, to adore. We are invited by the psalmist to behold all that God has done and all who God is, to bring to mind his active powers, to, to think about how he has rescued his people in the past. See, here's the thing about faith. Faith needs fuel. Faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. Faith doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Faith is ignited when we remember who God is and what God has done. And I think this is why it's so important that we come together as the people of God and sing songs of praise. This is why we open the scripture and we read it and we meditate on it. It's also why it's important to sit down with other people and hear stories of God's faithfulness, of how God came through for them in a time of trouble. Let me just challenge you today, Crosspoint, with a question, a very simple question that you might ask around the dinner table. Here's the question. Can you tell me of how God helped you in a time of trouble? What a great question. Talk about that around the table today. Instead of, you know, the boring sermon, right? How, how, how has God helped you in a time of trouble? And hear the stories and allow them to fuel the faith that's in your hearts. And I, and I think, let me just say to a younger generation, um, and for me, when I remember myself in my 20s and my 30s, the importance of me is surrounding myself with other generations of people. And to actually ask them these questions and to hear and be surprised by how God had worked in their lives over the decades. I think it's important to ask those questions of all generations. You know, the thing about our troubles is oftentimes we can be very, very myopic. In other words, we can have a, a, be so nearsighted that all we see is the trouble that's in front of us. And we can't see beyond that trouble because all we're doing is spending our times looking at our troubles. But what the scripture invites us to do is instead to lift our eyes up beyond our troubles and to instead fix our eyes on the Lord and his works, to behold who God is and what God has done. And this will fuel our faith. This will increase our trust. Because here's the thing, is faith 
is the catalyst that connects us to the power and presence of God. We need our faith ignited. And one way to do that is to behold the Lord. But the second part of the invitation is to be still. In other words, slow down, stop moving, pause. And not just physically, but mentally. So to put your busy, unfocused brain on pause. And while we are still, it says that we should know that he is God. In other words, know that he is the God above all else. I mean, that's why it says he's the God who will be exalted among the nations. He's the God who will be exalted in the earth. So so to know, really know who God is, this God who's in control, and yet this God who is very present, the God who only has to speak, and it's done. Know that he is God. So, so So this is more than just a casual knowing, you know, a nod to God or an intellectual kind of knowing. See, there's a difference between knowing about something and really knowing something. Just like there's a difference between hearing about bungee jumping and actually bungee jumping. Or there's a difference between watching romantic comedies and actually being in love with somebody. So this kind of knowing is, is deeper. It's far more personal. It is, it's really real. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I find stillness to be very difficult. Right? Because I'm the kind of guy, I want to get stuff done. Right? I love the hustle. I love keeping busy. I mean, I mean, even when I'm sitting down, I find that I'm not sitting still. My mind is still going. Uh, sometimes I have my phone in my hand, and I'm reading the news, and I'm checking the weather, and I'm scrolling through social media. I'm always, always, always moving. Now, I've discovered within me that there are two impulses that ultimately work against stillness. The first impulse is distraction, and the second impulse that I have is control. Distraction, of course, I think it's more obvious. It's probably obvious to most of us. I mean, when my mind is often on so many things, my mind is often not on God, right? The busier I get, I find the more God gets kind of pushed to the margins of my mind. And this is why I think it's so important to establish times for stillness, to actually work it into my schedule, to be intentional about it, to develop the discipline of stillness. I mean, this is what the ancients did. This is what Jesus did. They found time for silence and solitude. And that means without the phone, without the music, without all of the distractions in our mind, just stillness of body and of mind, me and the God of the universe. I also find, though, that the impulse for control works against stillness. Oftentimes, when there's trouble, I mean, my first instinct is I got to fix the problem, right? Because I'm a fixer. I fix everything, right? So if there's a problem, roll up my sleeves. Rob's coming in, and he's going to fix the problem, right? So even in situations where I am clearly powerless to do anything, to change anything, I just keep trying to fix the problem. I'll keep moving. I'll keep busy. I'll keep up with the hustle. My mind will keep blurring and blurring and going and going. I don't know about you if that's true, but I find that that's true for me. And sometimes I think, when I'm really honest with myself, that this need for control is really a deep-seated desire to play God. Because here's what I discover. When I'm ultimately in control, God often isn't. In stillness, we give up control to God. I don't have to save the universe in stillness. It's not my job to save the universe in stillness. And in stillness and trust, I know and I come to discover that God is God and I am not, which is the appropriate place I should find myself within the universe. 
Now, of course, I mean, this doesn't mean we shouldn't hustle or we shouldn't work or we should, you know, we should just be inactive. We should just kind of let go and let God. He's going to take care of it all. No, of course not. I mean, there, you'll always find this tension between divine and human participation. But the question I have to ask myself, and I hope it's a question you'll ask yourself this morning, is what is our first instinct when trouble comes? Do we run to the problem or do we run to God? Be still. And know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So how do we read this psalm as followers of Jesus? I mean, after all, we don't live in Jerusalem. The the temple is no longer there. Plus, we are under the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant, right? Well, what we do know is that there was a point in history where God would ultimately would abandon his house. I mean, the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 11 talks about the glory of the Lord departing from King Solomon's corrupt temple. And of course, the law and the prophets pointed to a time where God would indwell all of his people. So God would ultimately would provide a new temple where his presence would reside. And this was ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. I mean, read John chapter 1, the first chapter, the first 14 verses. Uh, and it, in, in it, they begins by retelling the story of creation through, through the lens of Jesus and the gospel. And the climax to this story actually comes in verse 14, and when it's speaking about Jesus. It's a vision of Jesus as the new temple. Here's what it says, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, the word, fully God, took on flesh. He was incarnated. And then it says that Jesus dwelt among us. Now, it's interesting, that phrase, dwelt among us, the Greek for that phrase that John uses could literally be translated as he tabernacled among us. Now, of course, the tabernacle is what the temple was before the temple became a permanent location. So God came And he pitched his tent among us, among all of humanity, not a specific geographical location. And he established his presence among us through Jesus, his new temple. And this is picked up many places in the New Testament. Let me just give you one more example. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So God presenced himself among us fully through Jesus, his temple. He was fully and completely God. He walked among us. And, and of course, we see, this, we see this played out dramatically in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, Mark 4 tells this story about Jesus and his disciples. They spent a full day teaching. Jesus is teaching in parables to the crowd. Jesus is tired. It's the end of the day. So he says to the disciples, let's get out of here. They get into boats. They start going across the Sea of Galilee together. And we pick up the story in verse 37. Here's what it says. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the Sea of Galilee, it could actually be pretty treacherous. I mean, you get swells, you get waves six feet high on the Sea of Galilee, which would very easily swamp out a small fishing boat. And of course, the disciples were afraid of the sea. Remember, they were ancient mariners. Ancient mariners saw the sea as a place of chaos. And here, the the waters were roaring and foaming. 
the waves were crashing and smashing around the boat. But who was in the boat with them? Jesus. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's keep reading. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Did you notice how Jesus responded to the chaos? What did he do? He spoke to the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And suddenly there was calm. There was stillness. And the disciples asked the question, who is this? I mean, this is early in the ministry. They still are figuring out who Jesus was. Who is this? But we, the readers, we know the answer. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. You know, there there were a number of occasions where Jesus would say that his temple would eventually be destroyed. In three days, it would be destroyed, and then God would raise it again. Of course, he was referring to his body, his physical body, and he was referring to the crucifixion and then ultimately to the resurrection. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, Matthew's gospel says that the veil of the temple, the curtain of the temple, was torn in half. And this tearing ultimately indicated God's holy presence breaking out throughout the entire world. Because remember, the curtain was what separated the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, from all the rest of the world, from everything else. And as the story goes, as Jesus was resurrected and then he ascended into heaven, he sent us his Holy Spirit, right? So that now the Holy Spirit has come and the Holy Spirit dwells where? He lives inside of the church. So those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, who have received him in faith, and, and have received him as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and does a supernatural work inside of us, and he comes to dwell inside of us. So Jesus now inhabits us by his Holy Spirit. So we together, the people of God, are the temple of God. Not just individuals. I mean, individuals, yes, but also collectively, as the people of God. The church is the temple of God. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. So when we as followers of Jesus read this psalm, it takes on so much more meaning, so much more richness. To think that God came to dwell among us, he templed, he tabernacled among us, and to think that now God dwells inside of us, and we are his temple Behold, be still. And so I want to conclude today, and I just want to read through this psalm one more time. And, and I'm going to attempt to read it in such a way that it captures the movement and the emotion that it was intended to evoke in us. And after we do that, we're going to go right into a time of prayer. <clears throat> psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. (coughs) Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God. Friends, we're going to go right into a time of prayer as we do every Sunday in our Crosspoint gatherings. You're going to be able to, wherever you're at, join us in prayer, following along the instructions that are on the screen. But let's enter into prayer with this God who is a very present help in trouble. Let's pray together.
Well, hey, thanks for uh, joining with us this morning, Crosspoint, and uh, thanks for praying together in community. Uh, when two or three are gathered in his name, God is surely there in the midst of us. Even though we're not together geographically, we're together in spirit. And uh, we trust that our prayers are not just hitting a ceiling, but that God is listening. He's a very present help in a time of trouble. And speaking of trouble, there might be uh, some needs that you have in your own life that uh, you would love for us to pray for. We would be happy to do that. Uh, By all means, please let us know online how we can be praying for you. We do take your prayer requests seriously. We do pray together as a staff team for those needs, uh, as well as whatever groups you indicate you want to pray for you, they will be praying for you as well. Hey, if you're new, if you're just checking us out for the first time, connect with us online. Let us know about your visit with us, and we'd love to help you learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and discover more about what it means to be part of our faith community. Um, Hey, let me just remind you now of who you are. You are the people of God, and you're called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Love you guys. God loves you more. Uh, Hope to see you uh, next week, same time, same place online. God bless. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.